As much as I love to read, there is a section which appears in most books that I admit to having skipped for most of my reading life. That section often bears the title Acknowledgements. It lists those people without whom the book would not have been written, or at least not been the book that it is. It is an expression of gratitude. And though that expression of gratitude sometimes overlaps with a dedication, it holds a slightly different purpose. A dedication names the person or people that the book is offered as a present to. Acknowledgements offer the reader information on where the book came from. It recognizes and thanks those people who, besides the author, were instrumental in the creation of the text I have just read, am in the middle of reading, or am about to start reading. I used to skip over acknowledgments because I viewed them as a collection of yawn-producing details that authors felt obligated to include, an unnecessary peek behind the scenes at the mundane circumstances and unknown to me people important to the author but not to me, as I was only eager to have the book carry me into the powerful prose or relevant reflections or educational information or beautiful inspiration of the writing itself. But I am reading acknowledgments these days. I started out scanning quickly, and this section can range from a line or two to many pages, depending on the book. I started out scanning for other author names I might recognize or for sources I was curious about, but now I read them as something of a narrative in themselves. They tell a story that one does not immediately think of when reading a book. I mean, here is the book, this is the author, that's who wrote it, and one can hardly think of a more solitary effort than writing a book. It's the author and the blank page, or blank screen, as the case may be, and the author alone calls forth the words to put on the page, accumulating those into a book. However, the acknowledgments tell a different story. The acknowledgments express thanks to many people for many different things, reading and commenting on the manuscript, information and or advice on a particular aspect of the book, providing a place to live during the writing of it, for financial, emotional, spiritual support, for love and patience and encouragement and trust. The acknowledgments share all of those names that do not appear on the book cover along with the authors, but without whom you, dear reader, would not be reading this book right now. They tell a story of process, give a sense of the time that it actually takes to create a book, and explicitly recognize that, as Reinhold Niebuhr says, nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. The acknowledgments now seem to me to be a vitally important part of every book I read, and I now scratch my head in puzzlement when books do not include this section. Really? No one to acknowledge? Nothing for which the author wishes to express gratitude. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. We are now embarking upon our stewardship campaign. 
asking you to make a pledge to this congregation, a promised donation for the 2018-19 operating budget. Now, we receive something like 75% of our operating income from pledges, and another 17% is from fundraising that happens within the congregation. So pledges are vitally important. Your financial contributions are vitally important. That means if you are a member or friend of this congregation and do not currently have a pledge, know that everything you experience here is made possible by people who do pledge. That is not meant to inspire guilt. It is just a fact. That is how this works. Money is not the only factor in what we do together, but it is a necessary component. So when we ask you to pledge, whatever amount is right for you, when we explicitly strive toward 100% participation in this pledge campaign, it is within this context. But really, why pledge? I mean, this is nice and all, but there are plenty of worthy places to send money, plenty of opportunities to be generous. So let me be clear. When I invite you to pledge, it is not so that we can balance our budget. It's not. Look at our mission statement on your order of service. Nowhere in there does it say to achieve financial stability. Nowhere does it say to pay our bills. It doesn't. Now, I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't balance our budget. I'm not saying we shouldn't be financially responsible and pay our bills and pay our staff and buy supplies and all of that. Of course we should. And we are doing all of those things thanks to your pledges and donations and to the work and dedication of the financial stewardship team, the treasurer, the board, the administrator, the endowment committee, the stewardship canvas team, to all of the committees and individuals who handle the funds they are provided in the budget so responsibly. But I don't think balancing the budget, paying the bills, building up the maintenance reserve fund, paying our staff, Paying your minister is why I should invite you to pledge or even why you should pledge. When I ask you to pledge, when I invite you to offer a financial gift to the congregation this year, as I am doing right now, it is not even so we can support the new exciting initiatives and requests that you will hear more about in the cottage meetings. Now, it is great stuff. It is worthy stuff. But you won't find any of these things in our mission statement either. Hiring a congregational life coordinator, paid section leaders for the choir, engaging a landscaping service, purchasing the training and curricula for beloved conversations, meditations on race and ethnicity, building up our maintenance, major maintenance reserves and our meadow property allotments so that we can carry out much-needed repairs and improvements, maintaining our fair share status with our congregation's pledge to the Unitarian Universalist Association, restoring delegate support for association meetings. I am excited just talking about these things, and you are too, right? <laughs> just wait. I am excited, but I don't think that any of them are at the very heart of it the reason that you will pledge for the first time or continue your pledge or raise your pledge or encourage others to pledge. Nor should it be. 
I invite you to make a pledge because you feel that something important is happening here and that it can get even better. I invite you to pledge because you see that the story of this congregation, the story of Unitarian Universalism on the Central Coast, is being written as I speak and you want to appear along with all the rest of us in the acknowledgments. I invite you to pledge because when you read that mission statement, you, in the words of past Congregational President Andy Pease, want to rock that mission. And that while you see we are rocking it, you know that we can rock even harder. I invite you to pledge because you understand that this is the reason we do all the rest. The reason we work toward a balanced budget and plan for financial stability. The reason we propose congregational life coordinators and choir section leaders and workshops on race and ethnicity and landscapers that will help us to care for the land on which this congregation lives. The reason we honor our connection to our sibling congregations through fair share giving and support our connection to Unitarian Universalism through support of congregational delegates. The reason we hire and pay staff fairly and provide benefits. The reason we continue to pay the bills and keep the lights on. The reason you called a minister from the great Midwest via the Sonoran Desert to join you. The reason I invite you to pledge is the reason there is a congregation here in the first place. We have a message for the world, and we have a mission that calls us to an ever deeper connection with that world through nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice, and inspiring joy. I invite you to pledge because you are excited about what we are doing and what we can do and because you know that nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we are saved by love. Now there's a strong word. <laughs> Actually, a couple of strong words. But saved is a word that is especially charged, both positively and negatively for many of us. Some of you may have felt a little twinge when you heard it. A little hesitation. I get that. The word holds a variety of cultural and religious connotations. But let me also say this. I have heard more than a few people use it to describe their experience of coming into Unitarian Universalism. Saved. It saved my life. It saved me. And I don't think they use it Lightly. And I think it probably has as many particular meanings and personal interpretations as the number of people who say it. But it also seems to me that the word is used intentionally to point to the power of the experience. It saved my life. Do we dare to claim that? And I don't mean claim that as if we made it happen, but that somehow in pursuing our mission and living out our covenant, however imperfectly, by accepting into our care this particular congregational expression of our living tradition and faithfully caring for it so that we may pass it along to future generations, we are somehow maintaining a space for such things to occur 
for people to feel fully accepted and respected in a way that allows them to find the courage to give of themselves and grow in community and be open to transformation and have their lives so connected to the community that nurtured this experience and the space that welcomed them into it that the only way they can describe it is to say, it saved my life. Can we claim that not in a proud, I built that kind of way, but in a nothing we do, however virtuous can be accomplished alone, therefore we are saved by love kind of way. I think we can. I think we must. And though sitting down with a pledge card and thinking through the information we share about the congregation's budget and committee requests and new initiatives measured against your own financial commitments and resources and capabilities may seem worlds away from being saved by love, I would suggest to you that there are little gold stars among the bittersweet. It's all there mixed together. I would suggest that though we have sometimes treated money itself as unclean and pledge time as a necessary evil that we seek to power through as quickly as possible, holding our breaths and hoping for the best, eager to return to normal congregational life when we can once again be spiritual and inspire joy and talk of our highest aspirations, I would suggest that filling out your pledge card is part of nurturing spiritual growth. That filling out that pledge card is part of inspiring joy. That filling out that pledge card is part of reaching toward our highest aspirations. I would suggest that making a pledge, whatever the amount, as this congregation holds a wide spectrum of financial circumstances, that making a pledge is an act of love toward all those who gather and all those yet to come. It is an affirmation of membership and a casting of your lots in with this community and its mission. Now, I'm not trying to cast a soft focus on what we face. No doubt we have some tough decisions ahead regarding what we are able to fund in next year's budget and what we are not able to fund. We have decisions ahead about how to best use and direct the financial resources we have from endowment and fund balances and operating budget for the ongoing vitality of this congregation. And I expect that there will be a variety of opinions expressed in these discussions, and I also expect that each person wants what they believe is best for the congregation, and that they will be firmly grounded in a vision of who we are and who we are called to be as a congregation, our mission and our covenant, why we are here in the first place. Because we are moving, folks, and we have something to offer to the wider community and the world at large. It is no wonder that the themes of past pledge campaigns have revolved around movement, from Green Boat Home to All Aboard, that they have reminded us that we are saved by love, from Let It Shine to wholehearted generosity. We should never lose sight of why we are here and what we can do together. Hanji and I pledge, and I invite you to pledge, not because this congregation is in peril, but so that we can more effectively fulfill our promise. 
Auntie and I pledge, and I invite you to pledge not out of desperation, but out of anticipation, looking toward the things we can do together. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. We will continue to be financially responsible, of course, while also keeping in mind that our mission calls us to be bold. A ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Deepening connections is a mission that calls us ever onward with more possibilities and opportunities presented all the time. The story of this congregation is still being written, but hey, right there, I already see all your names in acknowledgments. Those without whom this story would not have been possible. So when Hanji and I sit down to fill out our pledge card, I will be holding the power and promise of what has happened what is happening, and what can and will happen in this congregation in my heart and mind. I will keep our mission and purpose before me as I continue to serve as your minister in the coming year. I will remember that nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone, and I will welcome our creative collaboration in all the days ahead. That is my pledge to you.